Good morning. Did you guys get soaked on the way in? Well, hey, here's the good news. It may be over when you leave, okay? Like, the other gatherings got it coming and going, so you must be God's favorite, all right? So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, glad you guys are here today. Uh, just one other quick thing before we dive into the Word together. Uh, don't forget, next weekend is Easter weekend, all right? Uh, probably one of the biggest weekends, not probably, it is one of the biggest weekends of the year here at Crosspoint. And so in preparation for that, there's a few things I want to ask you to do this week, okay? Uh, number one, if you have not started inviting those people that God has put on your heart and your mind uh, to join you for a gathering, do that, okay, in the coming week. Send the text, make the phone call, uh, shoot that email. We've tried to make it easy on you. We actually have some invite cards out at the next steps table in the lobby. So if you want to grab a few of those on your way out, just grab a handful and you can spend some time this week passing them out, okay? Uh, number two, if you have not RSVP'd for a gathering, please do that. And I know if you're new to our church, that might seem a little weird, like RSVP, bro, what that's, what's that about? Well, Here's the thing, it helps us in two ways. Number one, it ensures that we have a seat for everyone coming to church next weekend. Easter is our highest attended weekend of the year. But then secondly, it helps our serve team to prepare to serve well those who are showing up all weekend long. And so if you can do that, please, if you're forgetful, I would even say get your phone out right now, open the Crosspoint app and RSVP in this moment so you don't forget, okay? And then finally, uh, we want your hearts to be ready for Easter weekend. We want you to show up ready to celebrate Jesus and his resurrection. And so a few of our pastors on staff, we sat down over the last couple weeks and we wrote a devotional that actually starts today and it runs through Easter Sunday. And it's basically a walk through the last week of Jesus's life here on the earth. Okay. Uh, you can find that devotional on our app. If you don't have it, just download it for free and you'll find it there. It's on the Easter page of our website. Uh, so it's all digital in format, so you can only find it online. But again, start using that today, and we pray it's a huge help for you as we gear up for Easter, all right? Awesome. Okay, well, hey, if you have a Bible, grab it. Uh, today, we are in week 24 of a series on the book of Genesis. We are almost halfway there, all right? Uh, 50 chapters in Genesis, so we're just kind of plugging along. But today, we're going to be in chapter 24. So week 24, chapter 24, go there with me if you have a Bible, all right? Well, this chapter we're in today is the longest chapter in Genesis, okay? It contains 67 verses, and no, we are not going to read all of them today. I will do quite a bit of paraphrasing, so you can read it all on your own this week at some point. would encourage you to do that. But these 67 verses tell the story of how a certain man named Isaac met his wife, which is really interesting when you think about it. Uh, if you go back to Genesis chapter 1 and you read the story of creation, right, this massive cosmic event in which God spoke into creation, everything in being, created man with his very own hands, you'll find that it only contains 31 verses. So creation, get this, creation gets less than half the airtime of this love story that we're talking about today. The question is why? Like what makes this story so important that it needs 67 verses? Well, the answer is really simple. Genesis 24 is devoted to helping us see and understand what's known in theology as the providence of God. Okay, this word providence comes from a Latin word made up of two parts. Pro means before or on behalf of, and vide means to see. So when you put those two parts together, providence simply means to see before, or the better translation would be to see on behalf of. If you have ever heard someone utter the phrase, I'll see to that, 
you understand this idea of providence, maybe without even knowing it, okay? Uh, By seeing to it, they're taking care of it. By seeing to it, they're providing for it. By seeing to it, they're assuming responsibility and ensuring that it, whatever it is, happens, okay? To say that God is provident is to say that's what he's doing in the universe right now. Okay, that God didn't create it and then step away, but instead he's seeing to it by providing for it, caring for it, and acting on its behalf. On a practical level, here's what all that means. That acknowledging God's providence is to believe that life is not open to chance. Are you tracking with me? Uh, That life is not a series of coincidences or accidents. Uh, God is not this passive participant in the world in which he's made. You know, it's kind of sitting back with Coke and popcorn in hand watching history unfold. But instead, he is always working behind the scenes, ordering and arranging and administrating the natural events of human life. Why? To bring about his good purposes in our world. And this is exactly what we see him doing in chapter 24. So let's dive in. We'll pick it up in verse 1. It says, now Abraham was old, well advanced in years. I love that phrase. I, I'm going to steal that when I get older. It, like, no, I'm not old. I'm just well advanced. All right, so feel free to use that if you'd like. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had. Uh, some biblical scholars think this was his servant, Eleazar, who first appears in Genesis 15. Could have been. We don't know. But he says to his servant, put your hand under my thigh. That's weird, isn't it? Seems weird to us, but it doesn't need to be weird. This was just a cultural symbol of submission to someone else's authority. So put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but you'll go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. Check this out. He will send his angel before you and you shall take a wife from my son from there. But if the woman's not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine Only you must not take my son back there. And so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So in these first nine verses, Abraham's major concern is finding his uh, son, Isaac, a wife. All right? Uh, He's pretty old at this point, 140. Uh, We learned last week that his, his wife, Sarah, is now dead. And so he is starting to realize, I should probably arrange a marriage for my boy. Okay, arranged marriages were customary in his culture. But he also realizes, I can't arrange a marriage with just anyone. Okay, it was crucial that he picked the right type of woman because he knew all the promises God has given me, they are dependent upon the relationship of Isaac and this future woman, right? Those promises, we've talked about them throughout the series. God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you, which is a promise that looked forward to Jesus. And so Abraham calls in his chief servant, the one in charge of his entire estate, and he gives him these instructions. He says, look, first, dude, I need you to swear to me, swear to me that you will not take a a wife or my son from the Canaanites among whom I live. 
All right, we covered this back in Genesis 9 when we were talking about Noah. But we learned there that the Canaanites were a cursed people. And as a cursed people, they were engaged in all types of sinful and depraved activity that both opposed God and oppressed others. And Abraham saying to his servant, I don't want my boy marrying a woman like that. Single people in the room, quick marriage principle for you. You ready? Don't marry a Canaanite. That's what I got for you today, okay? Don't marry someone who hates God and hurts people. And if you're dating someone like that right now, break up with them and find someone else. Someone who loves God and loves people like Jesus loves people, okay? This is what Abraham wanted for his son. And so secondly, he says to his servant, I want you to go back to my home country, and I want you to go to my family, and I want you to find a wife for Isaac there. Now, the servant's response is comical because it speaks to who we are as people. And I think you'll agree with me on this. He looks at his master and he says, "Uh, well, Abraham, what if? What if? We've all asked that question before, haven't we? Uh, Someone asks us to do something or there's a major life decision we need to make and we just start what ifing that thing to death. Some of you are laughing because that's you. Some of you are looking at the person next to you because it's them. But we've all been there, right? We know what it's like to ask that question. And can I tell you what you're doing when you do that? You are walking in fear over faith. You're walking in fear over faith. Instead of trusting that God is provident, that he is in control of all things at all times, actively working behind the scenes to bring about his good purposes to pass in your life, you are acting as if life is one big guessing game. And it looks to me like the servant was wrestling with that here. Uh, Abraham, what if I go all the way there and I find a woman who seems suitable, but she's not willing to come back with me? Like, should I just take Isaac back to the land you left? And Abraham says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. He even tells him, if you find a woman that you think is right for my boy and she's not willing to come back with you, dude, you're off the hook. Don't even worry about this oath. Okay, we started pressing into this some last week, but this is just another hint and another proof that for Abraham, there was no going back to the life he left behind. But Abraham had received these incredible promises from God, and in faith, he left behind his former life, his family, his country, and he pursued those promises. And he wanted this servant to see in this moment, all right, listen, dude, the land we are now living in, it's home. So nobody's leaving. And I don't care what kind of woman you find, whatever you do, do not take my son back there. And then, I love this, then Abraham speaks to the providence of God which I have to believe came as a great comfort to his servant, right? I mean, put yourself in that poor guy's shoes. I bet in this moment all he was thinking was, oh my gosh, the whole future of this dude's family depends upon who I pick. Jeez, I don't want to do this. And so Abraham looks at him and he goes, hey, hey, eyes up here, listen to me. I'm taking the pressure off you. This is not on you. The same God who promised this land to my offspring, he's going to send his angel with you. And as you're searching, he's going to be working He'll be behind the scenes arranging and ordering, and he will guide you to the, to the woman that my son is supposed to marry. And what we learn from Abraham's encouragement is simply this. This is the big idea of the passage, by the way. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. We learn that God providentially guides those who prioritize his plans. That God providentially guides those who prioritize his plans. Abraham was a man who prioritized God's plans. 
His plans to prosper him, to bless him, to use him to raise up a nation for himself through which one day he would bring a savior into the world. Jesus Christ, right? And because those plans were Abraham's priority, he trusted God to providentially guide his servant in accordance with those plans. In other words, let me say it like this. Because of what God promised, Abraham knew God will not leave this up to chance. And can I just tell you, when it comes to God's plans for your life and his plans for the world that we are living in, God doesn't leave those plans up to chance either. What are those plans? Well, let me tell you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ in the room today and you want to know, what does God have planned for me? Here it is. You ready? His plan for you is to do whatever it takes to make you more and more like his son Jesus until the day you finally see him face to face. That's his plan for your life. That's what he's up to right now. Paul talks about this in Philippians 1.6, that the God who became, uh, began a good work in you at the moment of salvation is so committed to that work that he will see it through all the way to the end. That's his plan for you. His plan for our world is to restore it, to rid it entirely of sin and all of its consequences so that one day we as his people can live here in new resurrected bodies with the risen Jesus and experience life in the way it was meant to be. You see, I need you to see today that God is up to something big. He's doing something on a grand scale. Just like in the days of Abraham, he was raising up a nation for himself. Today, he's raising up a church for himself. A church who will continue to do the work of making God's kingdom and character known throughout all the world. And everything God is doing in your life and everything he's doing in our world today is for the purpose of accomplishing those plans. And again, here's the beautiful truth. When those plans become the priority of your life, like, dude, I'm going to live for that. I'm going I'm to experience that. I want to help with that in any way that I can. God promises to guide you in accordance with those plans. I love how Solomon says it in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge God and what will he do? He will make your paths straight. Doesn't that take the pressure off to know that if you're that person that gets out of bed every day and you're going, okay, dude, I'm just going to strive by the help and the power of the Holy Spirit to become more like Jesus. I'm just going to run hard after him because I want to know him and I want to make him known. Like I want the world to see who he is through my life. Uh, when the greatest concern of your life is seeing hell grow smaller and the kingdom of God become greater... That God's commitment to you is to guide you every step of the way. Doesn't that take the pressure off? I think so. And what we learn from the rest of the passage is this. When we prioritize God's plans in that way, God providentially guides us in very specific ways. And I just want to point out a few of those ways that we see surfacing in the story, okay? Uh, so go back to it with me. Verse 10, the story continues then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham." So this servant gathers together this large caravan, caravan of people, of animals, of gifts, and he travels some 550 miles all the way back to Abraham's homeland. 
Uh, probably would have taken him about a month to get there, by the way. So he finally gets there, pulls up to this water well at about the time women are coming out to draw water, and he begins to pray. And he prays specifically for three things. Number one was success. God, please don't let me mess this up. Uh, number two was steadfast love. That phrase, steadfast love, is a beautiful Hebrew word, hesed, that simply means loyal love. And so he's just praying, God, would you keep showing my master Abraham the same loyal love you've shown him throughout his life? And then he prays for a sign. Okay, but not the kind of sign we often ask for when we pray. I think you'll agree with me. Isn't this how we often pray? God, I need some guidance here, so if you could do something miraculous and tell me what to do, that'd be awesome. Like, if you just write a message in the sky, that would be fantastic. That's not how he prays. Okay, the servant doesn't ask God for a miracle. He asks God for providence, that God would arrange the natural events of human life so that he makes a right choice. Okay, here's his ask. He says, Lord, I'm standing here by this water well. All these women are coming out to draw water, and I'm going to ask them for a drink. God, would you guide me to the right woman by having her say to me, not only will I give you water, but I would love to water your camels as well. Well, as this guy is standing there praying, the Bible says that a woman named Rebecca approaches the well. And what we know about Rebecca from the story is that she was beautiful, she was a virgin, and she was the granddaughter of Abraham's brother Nahor, okay? Uh, you actually find the first mention of Rebecca back in Genesis 22. There's a section there at the end that really breaks down Nahor's family tree. But Rebecca, she comes up on the well, and before the dude can even finish praying, she does exactly what he asked for. She offers him a drink, and she offers to water his camels, which, by the way, was no small task, all right? In the ancient world, a well was simply a hole in the ground with a staircase that led down to the water. Um, when you consider the fact that the water jar Rebecca would have used only held about three gallons, and a camel could drink about 25 gallons of water in one sitting, that means she would have walked up and down that staircase some 80 to 100 times. In addition, it takes a camel, on average, about 10 minutes to drink its full share of water, which lets us know she could have been drawing water for up to two hours. And listen, I have no doubt in my mind that this is exactly why this dude prayed the way he did. Like this request was not a random request. God, would you just send me a woman that loves to water camels? That'd be fantastic. <laughs> now look, this was a very, very intentional request. Here's what he was praying for. God, I want to find a woman who is kind, who is caring, and possesses a servant's heart. That's the kind of woman I want to pick for my master's son. And God's response, it teaches us the first lesson about his providential guidance. And here it is, that God guides through prayer. That God guides through prayer. This is not rocket science. You don't even have to be a church person to like uh, know this idea or this concept that God guides through prayer. But I want to break it down and unpack it a little bit so that you can see what this looks like practically, okay? Look, when we pray, God has a way of opening our eyes, uh, to possess spiritual vision and insight that we didn't previously possess. And it's like when you go and watch a 3D movie, if you don't put those glasses on, everything on the screen is unclear, it's out of focus, you know, your eyes hurt. It's just hard to make sense of what's going on. But as soon as you put the glasses on, things come to life. Things are literally jumping off the screen at you. That's what prayer does. Okay, prayer brings into focus what is unclear, and then God uses that clarity to guide you in the ways you're meant to go. 
Sometimes God, God's guidance through prayer, it's very, very specific in nature, okay? So you'll pray about certain things. God, what should I do? What, what decisions should I, should I make? And somehow, some way, God will say back to you, adopt that kid. Uh, invest in that ministry. Move to that country. Buy that house. College student, go to that particular school. Say these specific words to that person who doesn't know me or needs to be encouraged. But at other times, God's guidance is much more general and broad in nature, right? So you'll go to God and you'll go, okay, God, uh, I need to make this decision. Help me out. Who should I date? And God will go, I don't care. You pick. Both of them love Jesus. Both of them love people like Jesus loves people. So I don't know what to say. I mean, what do you like, brown hair or blonde hair? Just pick one. <laughs> All right, God, I need to know, which house should I buy? And God will go, they're both within your budget. You could buy either house and still invest generously in my church and in my kingdom. So which neighborhood do you prefer? Just pick a house. Okay, God, I, I want to be a missionary. I want to spend my life serving you in some other country, sharing the gospel. But God, I don't know which one to pick. And God might say back to you, just pick any of them that's on your heart. Like they all need the gospel. They all need to hear about what I've done through my son, Jesus Christ. So just go somewhere. You get the point, right? Again, at times, while God's guidance through prayer may be very specific, at other times, God will simply put the ball back in our court because he knows whatever decision they make right now still fits within my providential plans for their life and for our world. But hear me, prayer is the way we figure all that out. God guides through prayer. The second way he guides is through patience. God guides through patience, which I know we're all awesome at, right? So I might just skip this point, move on. <laughs> no, come on, let's be honest. We're terrible at this, aren't we? Like every single one of us. Uh, I know some in the room are probably better than others, but I would highly doubt we have any patience experts in the room. If so, you can identify yourself, and I will give you the microphone, and you can tell us all your secrets, okay? But, but listen, this is why the patience of the servant is so captivating to me. Instead of doing what I would have done and probably what you would have done, and saying to Rebecca in this moment when she offered to water his camels, hey, I hope you packed a bag because we're getting out of here. Like, this is awesome. Um, God, thank you for answering my prayers. We're done. We're getting out of here. Like session over, right? Let's go. Instead of doing that, the Bible says in verse 21, look at this, that the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. Would you just picture this scene with me, if you will? This guy literally sits there like a creeper, okay, for the two hours it took her to water his camels, and he just watches her without saying a word. That is weird, isn't it? Why did he do that? Well, I think he did it because maybe he was waiting on her to drop the water jar on her foot and just let some four-letter word four words fly, you know? Uh, maybe he was waiting to see if over the course of those two hours she just whined and complained the whole time. Oh my gosh, I'm sweaty and this is heavy. Oh, I'm doing this. I don't even like camels, right? Like, or, or maybe he was waiting to see if 20 minutes in, she just decided this is dumb. I quit. I'm not doing it. Maybe he was waiting on something else. We don't know. All that we know is that he patiently waited because he wanted to be sure she was the one. And I love what happens in the story. As he sits back and as he waits, God makes clear what the decision is to be. And here's what I want to say to you today. At times, at times when you need God's guidance in life, what you need to do is exactly what this guy did. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. 
right, instead of trying to force things or make quick decisions, sometimes you simply need to pull up a chair and you need to wait and you need to watch and you need to keep your mouth shut all in hopes of figuring out if God is really in what you want to do. You know, it's kind of like watching an artist paint a picture. When that artist first puts the brush to the canvas, you have no idea what they're creating, right? Uh, If you've ever played the game Pictionary, you know it's all a big guessing game at first. Uh, You can see some shapes and you can see some colors, but, but you're just not sure. It's only after you've waited and watched a while that you go, oh my gosh, I can see it now. I can see clearly what they're creating. And again, at times, receiving God's guidance is like that. In certain situations... He takes his sweet, sweet time organizing and arranging and creating before he makes his plans and purposes for your life clear to you. And you need to know that. Because again, I I know that some of us in the room, like, we're really bad at patience. Most of us, that's not what we want to hear. But again, you have to understand, God is not in a hurry like you are. He's just not. A lot of times, God is not concerned about your time frame. And so when you go to him and you go, God, I need answers right now. i got to make a decision. I need to know what to do. Sometimes God says back to you, wait. To just sit down and wait. I'm up to some stuff back here. Like I'm working on some things. And if you'll just wait on me for a little while, I'll make it all clear to you. God guides through patience. And even though none of us want to be patient, we need to be patient because oftentimes that's how God reveals what he's doing in our lives and in our world to us. Be patient. The third and final way, the third and final way that uh, God guides is through proclamation. Is through proclamation. Okay, after Rachel finishes watering the camels, he comes to her and he brings the gifts that he brought, a gold ring, a couple bracelets. And then he says, hey, I want you to tell me about your family. Who's your dad? And is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? My entourage. And she responds and she says, well, um, thanks for the jewelry. I imagine she said that. It's not the story. But then she says, my dad is Bethuel. My granddad is Nahor. And yeah, there's plenty of room at my dad's house for all of you to spend the night. And upon hearing her answers, look at verse 26. The Bible says the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his hesed, his steadfast, loyal love, and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. So again, just picture the scene, if you will. She answers, and all of a sudden, this dude starts praising God for his providence. Just has a little worship session by the well. Because he realizes in this moment, this meeting didn't happen by chance. No, in loyal love for my master Abraham, God in his providence led me to the right place at the right time to meet the right woman. And as he's having his little praise party, Rebecca takes off running, heads home. And she gets there and she goes, Mom, 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 you're never going to believe what just happened to me. I met this guy at the well, never seen him before, took about two hours to water his camels, and it was kind of weird because he sat there and just stared at me at the whole time, but... It was cool. He made up for it. Gave me some gold jewelry after it was all said and done. So this is awesome. Check it out. And then he asked me about my dad and if he could spend the night here. And when I told him about my family and gave him the yes answer, he started praising God because he found me. And as she's reporting this to her mother, her brother Laban is listening to the whole explanation. And he goes outside, meets the servant, invites him in, and their entire family sits down to share a meal with him. 
And I love this. The servant says to the family, okay, hey, thanks for the food, but before I eat, I need to tell you what God has done. And then he begins to proclaim God's providence. He says, look, I'm Abraham's servant. So Rebecca, your granddad, his brother, that's who I work for. And I just want you to know God has blessed him in unbelievable ways. In fact, about 40 years ago, at the ripe young age of 100, right, um, God did a miracle. And he opened the womb of Abraham's barren wife, Sarah. She was 90 at the time. And she gave birth to a son. Well, that son needs a wife. And so Abraham sent me here to his home country, to his family, because he wanted me to find a wife from this place. But before I left, I just said to him, well, dude, what if I go all that way and I find a woman who I think is right and, and she won't come with me? And Abraham said, look, don't worry about that. God's going to send his angel with you and he's going to guide you to the right woman. And so I set out it's about a month before I got here and I finally got here today, pulled up to this well, having no idea what was going to happen. And I just started praying. Okay, Lord, would you help me out here? I pray that I have not just wasted the last month of my life in coming here for no reason. And so, God, um, there's some ladies showing up. I'm going to ask them for some water. And would you let one of them say to me, here's some water for you. Here's some water for your camels. Well, Rebecca, before I could even finish praying, you showed up. And that's exactly what you did. And then I sat there and I watched you for two hours. And I apologize because I know that's weird. But I just needed to make sure you weren't some kind of crazy woman. And it doesn't seem that you are. And then after you were done, I gave you the jewelry. I asked about your family. You told me who your granddad was, and I realized in that moment, you are the answer to my prayers. And so, Rebecca, I need to know, are you coming with me or not? And I love verse 50 because in it we find the answer. Look at this. (laughs) Then Laban, this is the brother, and Bethuel, this is the father, answered and said, this thing has come from the Lord. Okay, we cannot deny it. God did this. He did it. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. My friends, hear me today. This is why it is so important for you to proclaim the providence of God. To tell others of his faithfulness to you. How he has guided your life in seemingly natural ways. Because it's your proclamation of God's providence that helps other people see what he's up to in the world. And it can actually give them the clarity and courage they need to pursue God's plans for their lives. But hear me, this is also why you need to listen to other people proclaim God's providence to you. Look, you need to know this because I don't want you to ever be caught by surprise, okay? If you are the person who decides the plans of God are going to become the priority of my life. I'm going to commit myself to Christ, to following him. I'm going to commit myself to seeing God's kingdom advance and expand here upon the earth. If you do that, listen, your enemy will do anything he can to plant doubts and questions in your mind along the way. Because he wants to stop it all. There will be well-meaning people in your life who, unbeknownst to them, will try to keep you from what God has for you. And in those moments, listen, in those moments when you are wrestling and when you're questioning and you're trying to figure out, okay, God, um, do I listen to them or do I listen to them? And is this you speaking to me or is this the enemy speaking to me? In those moments, listening to what other people say about the care and the provision of God, it can give you the clarity and the courage you need to pursue God's plans for you. 
And that's exactly what happened in Rebecca's life. The very next morning, the family gets up, and uh, they say, okay, you know what? After sleeping on it, we have decided that Rebecca should probably stay here with us a little longer. <laughs> and I love the servant's response. This guy's a stud. I mean, he, he, like, we don't even know who he is. He might have been Eleazar, but I cannot wait to meet this dude in eternity. Uh, we think she should stay with us. And the servant says to the family, don't you do this to me right now. <laughs> like, seriously, don't you hesitate now after all that God has done. And so the family calls Rebecca in. And they say, Rebecca, we just need to know, are you staying or are you going? And she says, I'm going. I'm going. Like, I can't stay here after hearing all that. You see, I believe strongly that it was the servant's proclamation that gave Rebecca the confidence that she needed to take these big steps of faith God wanted her to take. And so she goes. And the story ends with her entering the land of Canaan with the servant She meets Isaac. He takes her to be his wife. Isaac replaces Abraham as the new patriarch of the Jewish nation. Rebecca replaces Sarah as the new matriarch of the family. And as we're going to see in the coming weeks, God continues to work out his providential plan through them. His plan to raise up a nation of people for himself through which he would one day send a Savior into the world, our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, as we close, I just have two quick questions for you, and then we're going to pray, okay? Here they are. Number one, be honest with yourself. Number one, are God's plans your priority? Are God's plans your priority? Like, are you that person, truly, that gets out of bed every day and go, you know, I don't know, there's a lot of stuff I could live for, and I know I've even got all my own plans, but none of that matters in comparison to what God's doing in my life and in my world. So I want to live for that. I want to strive every day by the help and power of the Holy Spirit to know Jesus more, to become like him. As I said earlier, is the greatest concern of your life today seeing hell grow smaller and the kingdom of God become greater? Are you that person who trusts in the Lord with all your heart, who refuses to lean on your own understanding, who in all your ways acknowledges him because you want the God of the universe to make your path straight? Are his plans your priority? And then question number two, where do you need God's guidance today? And more specifically, where do you need his guidance to live in accordance with those plans? Uh, Listen, I am sure that we could all use God's guidance in some way. And so I just thought as we close today, we would take time to ask God for that guidance right now. So can we do that? Just heads bowed, eyes closed, all over the room.